A few weekends ago in Stockholm, Sweden, I attended a two-day training program on authentic relating. If you're not familiar, authentic relating is extremely difficult to describe. Getting Discomfortable with Authentic Relating I first encountered it when I was at World Domination Summit, which is a conference I went to last year, and I'm going to again this year. And everyone seemed to be talking about this thing called Authentic Relating at the festival. Oh, have you tried Authentic Relating? Oh, well, there's a meetup. They're doing Authentic Relating on this day. And there's another meetup. They're doing Authentic Relating tomorrow. Everyone I talked to had had some kind of profound experience doing this thing called authentic relating, which apparently is similar to or synonymous with something called circling. Various people tried to describe it to me. They were like, it's sort of these games you play in order to be more yourself. One person even told me that in the middle of an authentic relating exercise, he burst into tears and had this dramatic realization that changed his whole life. Unfortunately, my schedule at World Domination Summit never aligned such that I was able to go to any of these authentic relating meetups. It wasn't until several months later when I was in Cape Town in South Africa, of all places, when I discovered that there was an authentic relating meetup and I was actually able to go. It turns out that authentic relating is a series of exercises or games, often done in pairs or in triads, in which you are given some rules and a few prompts that are basically aimed at helping you break out of your cultural conditioning and overcome shame such that you are able to be more honest and more authentic that you are able to reveal your true self. Not only that, but similar to mindfulness and meditation, there's an emphasis in authentic relating on the present moment, on what is honestly happening for you in the present moment in relation to the other person or people that you are interacting with. So it's sort of like group meditation with talking in which you say to your partners, being around you right now in this moment, if I'm being completely honest, is making me feel whatever, whatever it is that it's making you feel. And then when they hear that, they are essentially responding by saying, wow, you know, to be perfectly honest, in this moment, hearing you say that, I am feeling whatever they are feeling. And I must admit that invariably, within a few minutes, you feel a really deep connection with the people that you are authentic relating with. You feel that they are really seeing you and that you are really seeing them. And you feel a strong sense of openness, connection, belonging, acceptance. It's kind of like a very rapid way to fall in love with someone. You are seeing their full truth 
their vulnerability, and you are getting a really clear and direct sense of how you are impacting them when you connect with them in the moment. And there's just something so exciting about talking about what is happening between you and another person right in the moment that it is happening. You know, so if you meet someone and you find them attractive, authentic relating is saying, tell that person right now, hey, I just met you and I find you attractive. I don't know why. I'm just, I'm feeling in this moment, I'm feeling attraction. Like, what are you feeling? And that person will be like, well, thank you for telling me that. And now I'm feeling a lot of discomfort. (laughs) So there's a lot of courage involved in authentic relating. But the leaders are always very clever at creating this kind of safe container in which you are allowed to take off your quote-unquote mask. You are allowed to say the kind of thing you normally don't feel like you are allowed to say because of cultural etiquette. And so they make it easier for you to have these kinds of connections. But the intention is always that you will take that newfound experience out into the world and try to actually authentically relate with whoever you encounter along the way. So after participating in a few short authentic relating meetups and games over the past few months, I decided to really dive in and take a two-day fully immersive authentic relating training put on by a company called Art International. There were maybe two dozen people in the seminar. Most of the participants were from Sweden or local to the surrounding areas. There were a couple people from Britain. There were a few people from Denmark. But the course itself was held in English. However, I quickly discovered that when we paired off to do certain exercises, a lot of people really wanted to speak their native language of Swedish, and I was not able to accommodate that. The course was led by a man named Ryle, who was one of the founders of Art International, this new authentic relating training company. And Ryle was definitely kind of the cult leader of the whole event. But he wasn't, I wouldn't call him, you know, they're always calling, they're always calling cult leaders charismatic. It's like a cliche to be a charismatic cult leader. And Ryle wasn't exactly that because he was making such an effort to be his brand of authentic that it didn't really come across with that kind of super engaging charisma that you expect from a a leader even of any training program. And I've been to a bunch of two-day training programs now. Ryle's style was extremely understated, kind of monotone, kind of serious, with some jokes. But you always felt like he was trying to give you the truest experience of what he was feeling in the moment. Now, I know I probably sound kind of cynical describing this all as a cult. And while there were definitely cult-like aspects to this whole community and this whole course, I have to admit that I was very engaged. I was very on board. I was 100% drinking the Kool-Aid because I have never been to a course where the leader wasn't this sort of smiley, jokey, mediagenic customer service type, not unlike me. 
I've been thinking a lot about putting on more courses about shame, about doing talks, seminars, workshops, things like that. Because I have always felt like my brand of humor and accessibility and my ability to speak and talk about dark or complex things in an amusing way makes me well suited to that kind of teaching position. But I was kind of impressed and thrown for a bit of a loop that the leader of this wasn't trying to do any of that. He wasn't trying to amuse us. He wasn't trying to even really connect with us. Or he wasn't trying too hard. He wasn't putting on a show of any kind. He was just like, here I am. This is the information I have for you. This is what's actually going on for me right now. Let's do this. And as I was practicing this authentic relating, one of the very first things that was coming up for me was something that I remember from like high school or even the end of elementary school, where I was just this happy-go-lucky kid. This was before puberty, I might add. And I was always nice and smiley. I was just very beaver cleaver. That's how I was raised, to just put out a customer service smile to the world at all times. Because to do anything less was essentially to make other people uncomfortable, to be rude. And yet in high school, you know, as people started to go through puberty, there was a lot of teen angst that came onto the scene that I really couldn't relate to. This might have something to do with the fact that I completely buried my sexuality in order to stay alive, so I wasn't really in touch with my dark side, even though it came kind of squirreling out of the cracks in my artwork and my interests in horror movies, etc. I've talked about that before. But my point is this. I had a feeling at this authentic relating training that I wasn't authentic enough. Even though I was quite good at being honest, even though I was really good at talking to people and I felt like I was good at connecting with people, it always had a kind of patina of performance to it. It always had a smile. It always had a wink. It always had a bit of entertainment that said, I'm going to make this connection as amusing and digestible as possible. Which, maybe, isn't quite as authentic as it could be. So I had this kind of shame building. I had a shame that I wasn't in touch with my emotions enough or deep enough or serious enough, that I didn't fit in with this group, especially the non-charismatic cult leader, Ryle, because I was so smiley and mediagenic and customer service. So I found myself kind of like, focusing on my dark side in order to try to fit in. And this was self-imposed, I might add. I, I don't, Looking back, I don't think anyone was really judging me per se. It just was my own shame coming up saying, hey, you think this group is really interesting. You really want to learn this stuff. You better fit in by going darker, going more serious, getting more emotional. So every time any kind of negative experience came up, I was like, oh, yes, yeah, lean into that. That's the real shit. That's the good stuff. <laughs> and over the course of the weekend, I found myself getting like really sort of bitter or, or 
depressed or dark and kind of judgmental. I was just like embracing all of the most negative impulses in my psyche and saying, this is the real me. But then at a certain point, I had kind of a breakthrough because I realized I don't have to necessarily lean in to every dark facet of my psyche in order to be more authentic. It's actually about being aware of it and communicating it more than it is kind of diving headfirst into it or living it. So, for example, instead of just like brooding, I could say in the moment, hey, you know what? There's a few things going on inside of me right now. One of them is I'm aware of a lot of darkness on this side. But on the other side, I'm aware of a desire on my part to keep things light and amusing because that's always worked really well for me. And on top of all of that, I'm aware that right now inside of me, there's a desire to fit in by being as authentic as I can. And I'm interpreting that by going dark, but that may not necessarily be true. So the key to authentically relating wasn't about being any one thing other than honest. And in trying to be more authentic and more dark, I was actually putting on yet another quote-unquote mask. I was kind of leaning dramatically into a side of my personality that wasn't completely authentic either. In the same way that leaning, as I usually do, into my amusing, clown-like, podcast host side of my personality isn't necessarily completely authentic either. In the middle was just a kind of neutral space where I could just say really honestly, these are the different facets of me that are operating right now, and no one of them is necessarily 100% me. But I can try to be more honest about the things that are happening as they are happening, and that is authentic relating. And once I figured that out, I discovered that there's this incredible excitement, this incredible energy that happens when you really start to say exactly what you are feeling in the moment about the situation and the relationship you are having right that second with the exact people who are right there with you listening. It sort of feels like things are becoming that much more real. Like you really feel every heartbeat and every emotion in real time, and you're really putting yourself out there by telling this person exactly what's happening for you. And as they listen and react, it changes what's happening for you, just like it's changing what's happening for them. And it just creates a really kind of powerful human connection. I'd love to be able to demonstrate how it works right in this moment, but because I'm sitting here alone, it doesn't quite work as well. I mean, I can tell you what it feels like to be sitting in <laughs> a bedroom in my Airbnb recording a podcast. I feel um, pressure. I feel like you got to say something interesting. <laughs> you got to keep talking. 
even though this episode will be edited and I can pause as long as I want and think, there's always this kind of energy that I'm cultivating as I record the podcast. I'm trying to just like get it out and make it sound good. It's it's definitely the opposite of the kind of slow, super in the moment, mindful feeling that I had at this workshop. Here are some examples of the kinds of games you might play at an authentic relating meetup. One exercise we did was to get into a group of three, and they gave us the sentence stem, if you really knew me, you would know that I... And you're supposed to answer that stem in the game. This is a very classic sentence stem that they use in Authentic Relating. I've had this come up a few times. In fact, Authentic Relating is often feeding you with sentence stems to try to get the conversation going. So me and these two other guys went around in a circle, each of us saying, if you really knew me, what you would know about me is, and then the next person would go, and then the next person, and then it would come back to you and you would do it again, and again, and again. And there's a lot of that in Authentic Relating as well. Sentence stems or questions that are repeated so many times that it kind of like breaks you down and you have to get really deep in yourself to kind of figure out what is true? How can I, how can I answer that in a more and more and more honest way to kind of like build up the courage to say some, some really revealing, really honest things? And I discovered that throughout the course of this weekend, people got incredibly honest. By the end, you know, we, we had people talking about all kinds of issues that would normally never come up in a group of 24 strangers who had just met, you know, 24 hours before. There was lots of laughter, there were also lots of tears, and you saw some really interesting connections happening in the group. People that had never met before were eventually giving each other these really intimate massages. There is definitely a link between authentic relating and a kind of free love hippie vibe in which at a certain point being authentic is going to bring up sexuality. You know, someone's going to be like, well, if you really want to know what's on my mind right now, it's sex because, you know, I'm a man and I think about sex every nine seconds statistically. I paired up with a woman and right away she was like, well, I want to be really courageous and authentic. So I just want to say that I feel like there's an attraction between us. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's interesting because I'm gay. But also, now that you mention it, you're kind of right. I guess I do kind of find you attractive. I mean, I, you're, you're, you're nice to look at and you're, you're, you are quite pretty. <laughs> and I don't know, I just feel very comfortable around you like right away. There's just, yeah, there's, you're right. There's a, oh my goodness, you're right. We're attracted to each other. Wow. And then it was an interesting, you know, five minute exercise where we had to unpack what the implications for each of us were about being attracted to each other. For her, you know, she had a husband and kids. So that was interesting. And for me, it was like, <laughs> I'm gay. <laughs> you know, uh, what, what's, what is this all about? So I tried to just roll with it and be like, well, you know, 
having this conversation with you is making me very uncomfortable. It's bringing up the fact that when I came out, I actually came out as bi because I had had a girlfriend for a year and a half before that, and it never felt like it wasn't real or anything. And I quickly got the message from people that everyone comes out as bi. That's just like a nice, safe step towards coming out as gay. But really, you're probably just gay. Get used to it. And it meant that I never, I just like never gave any thought to the side of me that finds some women attractive. I would definitely say that I'm not like 50-50, but there's a part of me that can sometimes find some women attractive. And I feel like it's worth owning that for the sake of all the bisexuals out there who don't feel like they're allowed to talk about being bi or that being bi doesn't really exist. Indeed, I had just sort of silenced that part of my brain and just like didn't think about it because it was too confusing. So I went on this whole rant to her about how I just like had never allowed myself to notice when I found a woman attractive periodically. So we had this really frank and interesting and awkward and tense conversation about how we found each other attractive and neither one of us was really supposed to be finding each other attractive. And it led to some really interesting epiphanies for me. And then afterwards, I was like, I never want to talk to that woman again. <laughs> I need to run away. I know discomfortable is all about me embracing discomfort and leaning into it. But authentic relating really brought out some really pointed, tense, in-the-moment discomfort that I rarely experience. And I have to admit, I found it quite overwhelming at times. And I had a strong urge not to connect with people. I found that like at lunch, I just wanted to eat alone. And during breaks, I would just like hide in the corner with my phone because I found connecting with people on such an intimate, deep, personal, moment-to-moment level really uncomfortable. You have no time in authentic relating in the moment to overthink things, to, to plan, to manipulate. It's just sort of raw, and whatever comes out, comes out. And I think that that, for me, is really difficult because I've always been a bit of a shame-inspired perfectionist. So I want to be able to edit what I'm saying like I do on the podcast. I want to be able to perfect it. I want to be able to make sure that I don't say anything that's too honest or that could be judged or that could be, you know, unpleasant. But the good thing about authentic relating is that if you're really doing it properly, you get to kind of voice all of that in a more honest way. Instead of overthinking what you're saying in order to get it perfect, you can just spit it out and then say, now that I've said that, What's happening for me is that I'm feeling really nervous. I'm having a vulnerability hangover. I'm worried that you're judging me. I'm not sure if I said that properly. I might, it might have come out in an offensive way. I'm, I'm starting to feel shame. You can just like, you can just explain exactly what you are going through in that moment. And if the person that you're working with is also skilled in authentic relating, they can meet you at that level and provide you with the same kind of transparency so that you know you're not being kind of judged or looked at as weird. That's one of the tricks about authentic relating is that you kind of want to do it with someone else who's trained in authentic relating or you want to at least do it in this safe container created in an authentic relating meetup. 
Because once you go out into the world and you start authentically relating with strangers, you have no idea how they're going to react. So there's a really interesting interplay throughout this whole thing where authentic relating is both playing with shame, bringing up shame, thwarting shame, adding to shame, lessening your shame. Like, it's all kind of wrapped up in what other people are thinking of me in the moment as it's happening. So I think authentic relating could be a powerful anti-shame tool. Another really interesting thing that was happening throughout the weekend is that we would do an exercise and then they would say, does anyone want to talk about their experience? There were always these moments for questions and reflections and talk back. And every time that they stopped for questions, there was one person who always put up her hand and always spoke. And this really bothered me because I am the type of person who loves to talk. So every time they ask for questions, part of me is like, ooh, ooh, yeah, I have something I want to ask, or I have something I want to say, or I have a, a really interesting observation that I want people to hear. But then I check myself, and I'm like, AJ, there are 24 people here. You have to make sure that there is enough space for all 24 people to talk. And I'm noticing that there are a bunch of people who still haven't spoken, and you've already spoken a handful of times. So I always take this moment where I'm like, is what I'm saying so important that it's actually worth filling the space where someone else who has never spoken in the group might speak up? And normally the answer is no. Usually at a workshop like this, I will talk early in the workshop because I know that I am not afraid to talk and I'm happy to help break the ice. But once I've said my bit early on, I then make an incredible effort to push my urge to talk all the time to the side and allow space for other people to contribute. And slowly but surely, other people were contributing, but every time they had to compete with this one woman who always had a question or comment. And so I started to develop a lot of resentment towards her because she was doing what I wanted to do, but wasn't allowing myself to do because I thought I should give space for other people. So she was, I was both envious of her talking and I was angry at her for not seeing that she was not doing what I considered the right thing. And this was kind of building up inside of me. And I was like, should I say something? I mean, this is authentic relating after all. And finally, on the second day, we got to the conflict section. And there was actually these exercises where they were teaching us how to get a withholding off of our chest which is what I had been doing. I had been withholding my anger and judgment of this woman. And they were like, you got to get your withholdings off your chest. So they actually created a forum where they're like, okay, we're going to open the group up and anyone who wants to go and approach anyone else with a real withholding that they have in this moment, please do so now. So it took me a little, a few minutes to work up the courage and when I went over to the woman that I wanted to unwithhold at, <laughs> she had already been taken. Someone else had already grabbed her. And I was like, ah, I'm never going to get it off my chest. But because other people were looking to practice, even if they didn't have a real withholding, you could kind of just practice with someone. I found another woman and I just pretended 
like she was the woman I was upset with. And I started giving her my withholding about how I feel like every time they ask people to talk, you talk and it takes up space and all this stuff. And it actually led to a really dramatic encounter with this other woman. Because unbeknownst to me, even though I thought we were just role-playing, she thought I was being serious. Because just like me, it came out later, she also likes to talk, and she also knows that she does talk a lot. So she was making a concerted effort herself to only talk when she felt she really had something really important to say, and otherwise she felt like she was biting her tongue. So to have me come up to her and accuse her of talking all the time, of taking up too much space, really hit her right in a shamey spot. And we ended up having a really realistic, really electric exercise in conflict resolution. Though in authentic relating, they don't call it conflict resolution. They call it conflict transformation. So I actually had to say in the middle of this conflict transformation, hey, you know, this is getting kind of tense. Do you, do you remember that this is just a role play and that I'm not actually talking about you? And she was like, oh, you're not actually talking about me? And I was like, no, like, no, of course not. I'm talking about someone else in this room. I think you know who I mean. And she was like, oh, and she was quite relieved. But after having kind of broken the ice by telling her that it wasn't really about her, we were then able to go through the steps of conflict transformation a lot more easily because there was a lot less emotion. So we actually did the conflict transformation process twice. And the first time, when she thought I was actually criticizing her for real, she wasn't able to do the final step properly. And the final step is where you just tell the person who is giving you the criticism how that criticism is making you feel in the moment. Instead of telling me how she felt, she got all defensive. And she was like, that's not true. There are people that talk more than me. I make such an effort. I feel like this is unfounded. And it was it was all the things that they were trying to teach us not to do. And it just made me feel quite defensive as well. But when she knew the truth, she was able to be a little bit less emotional. And she actually went through the final step and just said, you know what? I felt really worried. What I was really feeling was, oh my goodness, I feel so bad. I can't believe I've taken up everyone's time. I really value people having space to speak. And I am so upset that I have broken my own value and let everyone down. And it was this really emotional, honest, raw, and extremely relatable for me reaction. And it completely melted away any kind of criticism that I had. Even though it was a role play, it completely disarmed the genuine conflict that I was imbuing in this role play as taken from someone else in the room. And that all, that, that aggression just melted away when I got a picture into the humanity and the vulnerability within this human, even though it was a different human. It was just a fascinating window into how being really honest and vulnerable about the tender feelings that are underneath will disarm someone and make them see your shared humanity. And that will just sort of like take the anger and resentment out of their criticism 
such that you are now connected and seen and understood. And it kind of reminds me of the episode I did two weeks ago about Wisdom 2.0, where I recognize that everything that happens has a reason. Though I never got to confront the actual woman who talked too much, I was able to see that behind that, once again, there almost certainly was going to be this very human, very relatable, emotional reason why she felt like she had to talk all the time. And upon hearing that, no matter what it was, I probably would have found a way to relate, and it would almost certainly allow me to let my aggression and my anger and my judgment and my resentment go. So I realized that I didn't even need to go through the actual process of confronting the actual woman. I was able to get that piece by role-playing with someone else. And I was able to get that piece by just envisioning in my own head that there must be something really genuine behind this behavior. 